Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 120 of your favourite Formula 1 show. Yes, we're back this week. Uh, to be honest, we're, we're not discussing uh, the antics from the Canadian Grand Prix because it's been far too long uh, and, you know, the, the dust has well and truly settled from that weekend. But I am joined by once... Well, he's no longer actually McCheeseburger183. He's back from the US. Uh, to be honest, we were meant to start recording this two and a half hours ago, uh, but someone fell asleep. Yes, the jet lag was hitting very hard this morning. <laughs> so, not even jet lag, I've just been awake for like 25 hours. So, allow it. This time yesterday I was in Central Park. So, you know what? Cut me some slack. Okay, fine, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we're back though. Uh, by popular demand then. We we did kind of um and art about whether it was worth doing, a, you know, a Canadian Grand Prix recap. But we thought, you know, the dust has settled. It was, it was a good weekend from Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, but... We thought, I've been reading through the comments, and every single week, one thing keeps coming up. When are we going to do part two of the F1 Iceberg? So we thought this is, obviously, I think the penultimate break week uh, before the summer break. So we're like, eh, we'll, we'll jump in, we'll do another Iceberg uh, for a little bit of fun. So, of course, there'll be a link down in the description below uh, if you want to go check out the Iceberg that we're using. Um, but I think we've got about 11 things to go through today. Of course, there'll be timestamps linked down below as well. But, Jamie, where, where do you want to kick this one off? Where do we want to start? Well, the first thing on there is something that isn't even English. So I guess that would be an okay place to start. Should we? I'm guessing you're referring to Hoji now, aren't you? Hoji now, which yes. is definitely not how you pronounce it, I'd imagine. Um, yeah. But this is, this is Portuguese. It's definitely not English. And it's Portuguese because it was a, uh, a Brazilian commentator for the 2002 Austrian Grand Prix, who, uh, which races, yeah, famous... Uh, for the uh, what? We, what was it? Called? We need let to Michael through for the let championship. Michael pass for the championship. Yeah. yeah. And uh, do you want to tell us more? <laughs> so yeah, basically, obviously, yeah. Jay, I mean, this was one that we looked on there, and we were like, we have no idea what Hoji now is. Uh, but it was yeah, as Jamie said, a Brazilian commentator by the name of Kaliba Mercado. I'm probably butchering his name as well because uh, again, neither of us are Portuguese. Uh, but he was the Brazilian commentator for the 2002 Austrian Grand Prix. I think he's still around Formula One. To the, I, I mean, doing my research for this, I saw an interview with him just a couple of months ago. Uh, and yeah, he was the commentator for the 2002 Austrian Grand Prix on Brazilian TV. And from what we gather from a loose translation, it basically just means... He was obviously just yelling as they crossed the line, going, this is a robbery, this is a robbery. And apparently it is still quite a big deal in Brazil, this race. Uh, I mean, it was massive news for a long time, of course, and the ramifications that followed it as well, wasn't it, Jamie? You know, um, oh, yeah. team orders were banned <clears throat> until Ferrari again broke that rule uh, in 2010 <laughs> Hockenheim. But yeah, that was a massive, massive storyline at the time, wasn't it? And arguably still... Considering it yeah. was an in-race, it wasn't like a championship-style um, yeah. controversy. and it was in a season that had no real like jeopardy. It didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things outside no. of that one race. No. I mean, this was obviously but, yeah. what a lot of people said, wasn't it? You know, Michael need, had no need to win that race. I think it was he went from like a 22 to a 26-point lead in the championship. This was at yeah. a time when there were 10 points for a win anyway. So it was absolutely dominant out front anyway. And he's, yeah, Ferrari had easily the fastest car. So there was no way he was going to lose to anyone other than Barrichello if he put together a championship. 
but obviously that wouldn't have happened. So <laughs> especially not when they took his win away. Um, but I don't think this is that spicy. It's just a bit of team orders when team orders are allowed, and it's a funny commentary line because Brazilians are super passionate about F1, obviously. So, and Barrichello was a massive deal at the time. So, I understand why the commentator was annoyed, and the Brazilian fans might be annoyed, but team orders were allowed at the time, and this sort of thing happens every week now, really. I think every week is a bit strong. I, I suppose I think the race was, wins, it's not common. It was more how blatant it was, though, wasn't it? I think at the time that was so upsetting. Yeah. But what is often forgotten about as well, and I don't know... We we still don't really know for sure to this day, do we? But, of course, uh, Michael, a couple of races later, uh, let Rubens Barrichello win the 2002 uh, US, US Grand Prix, didn't he? wasn't it? Still not known whether he was just trying to stage a photo finish or whether he actually no, he wanted Rubens to, to win. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you say that as the Schumacher fanboy of the group. I'm not so yeah. convinced. Um, but I mean, yeah, I was. I really like Rubens Barrichello. I think he's one of the best personalities ever to come through Formula One. I, I'll be Didn't honest. His son Jamie, take you out on iRacing once. His son did take me out on iRacing once. So I like Rubens. Don't like his kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he. I I must admit, I do occasionally still go back now and watch. There's a famous couple of interviews that he did with Eddie Jordan if you remember back when he was going to retire at the end of 2011. They are oh, an yeah. absolutely brilliant watch as well, where Eddie goes to his house and is like swimming in his pool and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Rubens Barrichello, one of, yeah, one of my personal uh, heroes from Formula 1 as well. I absolutely love myself a bit of Rubens. Are we going to go left to right? Are we going to go up to up and down, I Jamie? What do we think? Right. Read it as he'd read a book. Okay, so Mercedes Monza tyre pressure then. Yes. This one isn't that long ago. Uh, we weren't sure what it was talking about until we Googled, and it turns out to be, as far as we know, the 2015 Italian Grand Prix, which uh, Lewis Hamilton actually got the perfect weekend, which we're seeing, a, I don't know, my Instagram's full of it at the minute because everyone's like, Max has never topped every session of every quality and practice all weekend and led every lap. Hamilton did it once in the 2015 Monza race. So I see a lot of it through that. But this race was thrown into jeopardy towards the end when uh, what's Hamilton Bono, his engineer, uh, came on the radio and was like, he's le- obviously he's leading by about 17 seconds at this point. And the team are like, you need to make the gap 25 seconds or 20 seconds, I think it was, towards the end of the race. So he was basically doing quality laps when the race was in the bag. And they wouldn't tell him why. And he was a little bit perplexed at first. But because of the dominance of the Mercedes, especially at Monza in 2015, um, he was able to do it. And they, he was annoyed. He said, what, that's not cool, man, on the radio <laughs> at the end. Uh, but he won the race, and it turns out he didn't get a penalty. The reason they thought was because they saw in telemetry that their tyre pressures were too low, I think by 1.5 PSI. So they, they thought there could have been a potential penalty when, when the FIA found that after the race. Turns out there wasn't. Uh, I'm not sure why there wasn't, but I guess even if there was a penalty, it wouldn't have mattered because, you know, he he got the gap anyway from uh, from Sebastian Vettel in second and Felipe Massa on his last ever podium. Was it? No, he got a podium in Brazil as well, didn't he, that year? So, yeah, there you go. I was going to say, I thought that was the last race Williams got a double podium up to this point in Formula 1, the 2015 Italian no, Grand Vettel Prix. No, Vettel was definitely second. Was Vettel definitely second, was it? Okay, I was wrong well, about that. Well, I'll then. check. But I'm Maybe that was sure. 2016 then that I'm thinking of. I mean, it's not really relevant, but still. Neither um, of them got a podium in 2016. What, what happened to Rosberg that Grand Prix then, Jamie? He was running 
second and then got an engine failure with two laps to go. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> but because um, it's not Hamilton's unreliability, no one talks about it. Well, it's because Rosberg <laughs> was dog poo in 2015 anyway, wasn't he? Um, well, he was... He would have been like 30 points off and he went to 55 after that race. I mean, going into... you, That's so much what makes me laugh, isn't it? When we look at the 2015 Formula 1 season. Because, I mean, we rank it as a pretty dead year in yeah. Formula 1 anyway. Um, but it was the fact that going into the US Grand Prix where Hamilton can win the title, it was actually over Seb rather than Nico, which still to this yeah. day is absolutely wild. It was crazy for Rosberg that season. Yeah, just like it was for Hamilton in 14 and 16. Got, Didn't stop got, him carrying himself Hamilton into championship contention. in 2016. Was it only one? <laughs> one retirement in a race, yeah. Well, two. Yeah, two, yeah. I was two in total because yeah. one of them, he, he crashed into Rosberg. But that's not well, Rosberg crashed into him. <laughs> but I'm sure that's on here at some point in the future. Um, <laughs> We've just gone completely off topic. Did, did we'll you confirm to the podium, sorry? Yes, it was Vettel. From it was Vettel. Vettel. Okay, so it might have been 2016 then that was Williams' last double podium. No, um, definitely not. But anyway, well, only got only got one all year in 2016. Oh, okay, there we are. Um, Rubbish. Andrea Moda, then Jamie. I mean, we could do a full podcast about this at some point <laughs> in the future. I mean, we we've spoke about it behind the scenes. We we have undenied about you know during the winter or on other races whether we could do like an off-topic old-school style podcast where basically I mean we we ramble about Formula One anyway, uh, but we where we ramble about old-school Formula One. So, for those of you that don't know, Andrea Moda is famously the worst Formula One team of all time. Set up by a Italian shoemaker. And, of course, this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, when Formula One kind of got a bit ridiculous, but ridiculous. in a very different yeah. way. As in anyone, like Formula One cars at that point were dirt cheap to make. And you could kind of let a lot of, like, the cars were quite basic before like the technology age came, of course, um, you know, in the early nineties with the Williams and things like that. So pretty like Jamie and I now sensibly could probably set up a knowing wheel Formula One team back then and show up with a car. Uh, it was woefully underpowered, woefully dangerous as well, um, and it yeah, the worst worst Formula One team of all time, pretty simply. Yeah. They raced nine or entered, sorry, nine races. Yes, yeah. Uh only had one entry. Because pre-qualifying was a thing back then. Yeah. They basically never pre-qualified. Nope. They also didn't pay the FIA the hundred grand it cost to register yourself for the race before Absolutely the first race. Mad, isn't it? The fact so that they you, both got excluded. You you could go to a Formula One weekend with a hundred k to buy in, and now it's six hundred million, and looks to be up to yeah. like a billion dollars soon. Nuts. Absolutely yeah. nuts. Crazy. Mercedes 2012 rear wing men, Jamie. You were a fanboy of Mercedes back then. Talk me through was it. Was I? I was such a Schumacher fan. And a Rosberg and Nico, fan, I guess. Exactly. You were yeah. a fan of Mercedes. Uh, basically, they found a loophole, as all technical revolutions happen like that. They found a loophole in the regulations which allowed them to basically have a double DRS, as in the rear wing would open in two places, which was a bit crazy, considering DRS was only a year old at this point, so it was still quite new. Um, and yeah, but it was somewhere around the uh, the bottom half of the rear wing, like in the, in the diffuser. Another flap opened, and somehow that was allowed, even though moving body parts are definitely not allowed. Moving of body DRS. parts? Well, moving parts of your car is properly not allowed unless it's DRS, pretty much. Um, but they got they they somehow found a loophole. Ross Braun was obviously there at the time. 
and it really boosted them at the start of the season um especially in qualifying because at the time you could use drs everywhere in qualifying which is insane i forgot about that yeah good times well everywhere apart from the monaco tunnel yeah which is funny uh because schumacher actually got pole that day without the drs in the tunnel so yeah it helps mercedes a lot 2011 was a really bad year for mercedes um i think they finished fifth or sixth in the championship and then i thought it was fourth still no i I could be wrong but i thought they were fourth yeah maybe it could have been fourth but it was fourth or fifth um and then 2012 came along and they were suddenly i mean it was an insanely tight grid in 2012 it was especially at the beginning it was ridiculous um they got pole a front row lockout in china which probably well at the time had the longest straight in f1 i think maybe not maybe india was longest. it was right up there yeah it was right up there and obviously drs helped a lot on a one point whatever kilometer straight um and rosberg did get pole schumacher got second place and then would have had a one two if they fit all his tires properly so but rosberg did win so yeah i guess drs it was it was kind of like outlawed for 2013 but 2012 they kind of just left them to it and a few, i think a few other teams kind of cottoned on but at the start of the year especially it was very much a controversy yes yeah i mean 2012 was obviously a really weird year for mercedes generally wasn't it because like you mentioned 2010 they kind of came in done all right 2011 then i like i said i'm pretty certain they still finished p4 in the constructors championship um but obviously they were further away from the front runners uh, and i know i've read an interview recently obviously when they were talking about like 2012 for mercedes that was basically make or break for them because of course they realized now they were actually gonna have to spend a lot of money developing a car if they wanted oh, yeah. this to be a worthwhile venture and it was kind of had shanghai not happened that year it's likely the rest of the decade would have been completely different in formula one because we you know mercedes yeah. very easily could have pulled out from the sport um, Seb would have been a 10-time champion. Seb could have won. Well, he wouldn't have been 10-time because <laughs> Ricardo beat him oh, a couple yeah, of times. Would have tough. Him, yeah. Ricardo would have been a two-time world champion. Seb would have had five or six. Max would already be on about four as well, <laughs> uh, which is absolutely nuts to think about. Um, but yeah, weird, weird times, Jamie. Can you remember as well the famous quote from that Grand Prix when Schumacher broke oh, down? Oh, yeah. I've not been this disappointed since Shrek 2, wasn't it? <laughs> a Martin Brundle classic. From Which I watched. As well. I, in fun fact, I watched Trek Two on the plane uh, that I was on last week, and it's actually very good. It's better than Trek One. So Martin Brundle has L opinions. Fair enough. Martin Brundle is wrong about Shrek, apparently. <laughs> um, McLaren's second brake pedal, then Jamie. This, I mean, we've got a lot of older school ones throughout the rest of this, haven't we? From our generation and earlier. I know nothing about this, so you can take us away. So. There's still a little bit of uncertainty around actually where this originated from, even to this day. But basically, McLaren... So obviously, you've got your normal road car, you've got your clutch, your brake, your throttle. On the other side of the clutch in the McLaren back... Actually, they probably didn't have a clutch then, of course, because Formula 1 cars didn't at that point. Um, So where the clutch would be, sorry, was a second brake pedal that was used so it would change each weekend depending on obviously whether the track was clockwise or counterclockwise i don't know what they did at suzuka before you ask um (laughs) and it basically meant that what you do is you'd obviously use your brake you obviously in formula one you you uh, right foot brakes i'm trying to remember uh, sorry yeah right foot brake you, sorry, so yeah, this was the thing. You were still <laughs> having to right foot brake in this car. That's what confused me then for a yeah. second. 
And what you do is you then use your left foot on this secondary brake pedal that would only rotate, sorry, would only brake on the inside rear wheel. Of course, that then would mean it would rotate slower and allow the outside wheel to rotate faster around it, creating better turning circles for the car. Now, obviously, the big thing that was so fascinating about this and why it's so well remembered to this day, of course, was the fact that to find like how it's something ridiculous, like to find a quarter of a second in Formula One cost ten million pounds. Mm. McLaren, they reckon this found them anywhere from about half a second to a second, and it cost them fifty quid to build. That's insane. And it was only it, ever didn't... found out. Sorry, carry on. I was going to say they didn't actually do that well. It yeah, helped. Nineteen ninety-seven. Well, this was the thing though. It was only discovered in ninety-eight after they'd started winning more races again. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was only discovered because a photographer took a picture inside the cockpit of David Coulthard's car at the Melbourne Adelaide, uh, sorry, Melbourne Australian Grand Prix even, I should say. So that was the only way it was ever found out originally. Wow, there you go. A fantastic little piece of it ingenuity. Seems like you must lose time by having to right foot brake though, surely. Not so back then, been, because suppose, all the drivers yeah. would have come up through junior stuff still having a right foot brake. Yeah, I guess. Fair. Well, wow. bit of engineering. Was Adrian Newey at the team at that point at McLaren? Uh, he was in the process of joining, but he wouldn't have been there. Yeah, no, he would have. But I don't yeah. know whether he would have had an impact on this directly. Fair. Because, of Fair. course, he came yeah. in 97, didn't he? Good engineering from McLaren, which is rare in Formula 1. Yeah, these something we don't say nowadays. I mean, most <laughs> of these, between now and the end, have got something to do with McLaren, don't they? Which is kind yes. of weird. Specifically um, the next one. <laughs> especially with the next one, Jamie. I mean, we again, this is the one we could do a whole podcast on, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Probably, would we still argue to this day, top three biggest F1 controversies? Probably, yes. I would So I would probably argue the biggest, certainly modern, modern day. I would um, suggest now that Abu Dhabi is bigger, just because of everything else going on around Formula One. But that, I guess, that wasn't so much really a controversy, more like a mistake from the the FIA. You can't so, try to say that's not a controversy. Well, Jamie. I guess it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was between the two biggest teams at the time, and it was huge, like front page news. It kind of. It was world news up. in the yeah. same way that yeah. Abu Dhabi was world news, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess. And uh, yeah, Spygate then, 2007, take yourself back there to... Uh, it all blew up around Belgium, didn't it? It was the summer break um, between Hungary and Belgium in 2007, which had Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton driving for them, uh, and Pedro de la Rosa as a third driver, who was also weirdly involved. I don't know why. But basically... A guy called Mike Coughlin, who was a senior engineer at McLaren, uh, was handed some uh, blueprints for the 2007 Ferrari car, um, which is obviously not allowed. Uh, <laughs> and he basically, like, sold them as far as I to Nigel Stepney, who was. Uh, Jamie, like, yeah, you, Nigel, you've got that I'm wrong. This wrong. <laughs> Nigel Stepney's Ferrari guy. Do you want? Do you want me to? Do you want me you to have a look over. through? <laughs> So, Nigel yeah, Stepney was a Ferrari employee and was very hands-on in the team throughout the late 90s and early 2000s. So, of course, you know, he was British-born, uh, he was living out in Italy, uh, all this, that and the other, you know, was very, very, um, you know, progressing inside Ferrari. And, of course, you know, this was through their dominant years as well. Uh, he, he had a firm belief 
that he should have been the top dog inside Ferrari, of course. Um, obviously, you know, when we saw Ross Braun leave, when obviously we saw this big shift away from the Braun Todd Schumacher era, he kind of felt he was going to slot into that top role was made very clear to him and again you still don't really know to this day whether it's because he simply wasn't Italian or what uh, but that was not going to be the case and in fact he was so they was he was so disgruntled originally he put chemicals in their engine um, when the car was back at Maranello of course this then caused a huge stir inside Ferrari I mean they got the police involved like this was how big a thing it is in it in Italy because Ferrari are pretty much up there with the Pope um so he was then in sort of a bid to not completely destroy Ferrari from the inside. He basically was allowed to stay with the team, but he was no longer allowed to go to Grand Prix. He was put into a new role that meant he was at the factory all the time, and he hated that. So his basically his plan was originally he went round, and this is often the bit that's forgot about this story as well that I love. He went to Toyota with this information as well. But Toyota wanted nothing to do with it. It's often forgotten that Nigel Stepney tried to go to Toyota with this as well because everyone remembers, of course, it was Ferrari versus McLaren in terms of budget. Toyota was spending more money than both of them at this point. Toyota was spending more money than anyone else and just not making anything good. Exactly. (laughs) They they were just throwing money at everything without solving anything. Again, another podcast we could do. Um, So he went to Toyota with this information. They weren't interested. So, of course, he sent it over to McLaren and his good friend, Mike Coughlin, who took it to a walking photocopier, like a Staples, Jamie, back in the day. <laughs> That's funny. And unfortunately for him, uh, the employee that worked at that Staples was quite a big Ferrari fan. So <laughs> he pretty much went straight to anyone he could email at Ferrari going, I've got all this information about your car. I, I know a bit about Formula One. It should... Should anyone else have this information, especially in the UK? And that's kind of where this whole thing exploded from, didn't it? And there were just so many nuances to this, of course, because the big problem with it, wasn't it, was, of course, we had this mega battle going on between Raikkonen, Alonso and Hamilton. McLaren were already imploding by this point. Oh, yeah. Of course, Hungary because... was awful for both, like, qualifying at Hungary, Hamilton blocked Alonso on an outlap and Alonso retaliated by blocking Hamilton in the fit lane uh, which meant Hamilton didn't get time to do a lap at the end of the session Alonso gets disqualified uh, Ron Dennis is fuming Hamilton goes on to win the race so yeah there was already like chaos and implosion at, uh, at McLaren but yeah this was definitely blew it out of proportion massively well um, this was actually, the problem wasn't yeah, it they were so so focused on like trying to beat each other that ended up Kimi Raikkonen came out of nowhere and turned around a 14 a 17 point gap with two races to go giving us 10 points for a win and won the championship yes yeah which I was going to come on to in just a minute but of course this was the big thing that kind of blew it all out of the water wasn't it at Hungary of course because after you know Alonso and Ron Dennis had had their whole big argument obviously about why he blocked Lewis Apparently, basically, Fernando Alonso turned around to him and went, I'm going to go to the FIA with all this information. Because, yeah. of course, he already had all this stuff that they knew about the Ferrari car. And, Alonso, and he knew he wasn't going to stay next year. Alonso knew he wasn't staying next year, so he was more than happy, more than happy 
to try and play dirty with Ron Dennis. That's a great interview with Alonso after the qualifying session when he's been disqualified from qualifying. And yes. his grin is insane. <laughs> he knows at that point. I think Alonso felt at that point he had all the cards, didn't he? That was the beginning of El Plan back in 2007. <laughs> he kind of, kind of, yeah. And I mean, obviously then that meant... Uh, and obviously, like Jamie said, of course, it meant that Ferrari and Kimi Raikkonen were able to come back come the end of the year. Of course, McLaren outright banned from the Constructors' Championship that year. The drivers were allowed to keep their points solely for the fact there was a big title battle going on. Yeah. But still Otherwise, is... Raikkonen would have won it in, like, July. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But still, Jamie, the, the bit that I wondered there that you just mentioned, of course, was the fact that Raikkonen came back from 17 points. Did mm-hmm. McLaren intentionally throw it away to get less of a penalty? No. Hamilton you don't think that. As a rookie. <laughs> he had a mechanical failure in Brazil that cost him. Yeah, but the China one was all on him. He needed the team left him out on point. absolutely destroyed tyres for like 20 laps too long. Yeah, but slowing down enough to not go into a gravel trap into the pit lane. The tyres were bold, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I Still, mean, shouldn't be doing it. This is one of the things, isn't it? Because I know Hamilton obviously went years, years without talking about this whole saga. Um, and then obviously, I think it was about 2018, 2019, wasn't it? He said, obviously, at the time, he had no idea what went on. Now he does. And he said it will make for a fantastic chapter in his book one day. Yeah, I can't wait for Hamilton's book. Was it 2017 where he was like... At the end of the year, he was like, you'll have to find my book. Yes, 10 years from now, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, 2027, yeah. the Lewis Hamilton book. That'll be the read Incredible. of the decade, I think, uh, in yeah. that regard. But of course, yeah, Mercedes handed the biggest fine in McLaren, sport. So. Sorry, McLaren even, yeah, of course, uh, handed the biggest fine in sport history at the time. Um, Mercedes, of course, because they had a stake in McLaren, had to pay, I think it was 45% of that fine as well, which is often forgotten about. Um, but there's no evidence, actually, Jamie, to support they paid that full pi- that full fine either, which wow. is why you wonder whether they didn't actually, whether they deliberately threw away the rest of 07 to get a smaller fine, like whether they come up with an agreement behind the scenes as well. Interesting. Also, I didn't know this until I just read it right now. Whenever a McLaren driver won for the rest of the season, they didn't send, they weren't allowed to have a team member on the podium. <laughs> I did not know that either. That's fascinating. Well, they only won once, so only Hamilton at Japan. Uh, but they just had no team member up there because they obviously were banned as a constructor. They were, yeah, the constructor. It would just been Ferrari every week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Funny. I mean, such a wild a time to be alive. Wild time in Formula One. And Fernando course. Alonso just is. He loves stirring the pot, and that was a very big pot to stir. <laughs> it was the, arguably, like we said, still one of the biggest pots of all time to stir. Um, oh, yeah. And that leads us on quite nicely, doesn't it, Jamie? Because, of course, after all the 07 controversy, I mean, we've said before we could do easily, like, we, sensibly, we could do like a 20 hour podcast between <laughs> 2006 and 2010. And exactly. another one that I'm sure we could spend hours on is 2008 Belgian Grand Prix, isn't yes. it? Yes. I wanted to talk about this for about two we years. We have discussed doing a podcast just about this incident for so long. Yes, indeed. And the, the situation. You've got uh, Kimi Raikkonen running in second place in the Belgian Grand Prix 2008. Lewis Hamilton just behind. You've got three laps-ish. First three place Kimi was go. running. Oh, yeah, Hamilton was going for a move, wasn't he? No. Yes. Oh, Kimi yes, was yes, first, was. yeah. They were battling for the win. <laughs> yeah, they were battling for the win completely. And 
Spa 2008, quite, I think, five races from the end of the season. You've got Hamilton, Massa, and at this stage, Raikkonen was still probably in it, just about. Um, three-way fight, and then Kovalainen is the other McLaren, who's a bit rubbish. Uh, I guess Kubica as well was there too, because yeah. everyone else was just messing around in 2008 enough for BMW to be serious for a year. So, yeah, you've got this monumental battle. It's also started raining because it's Belgium, so why wouldn't it? Um, and you've got these two. It's kind of rev- like when it happened in 2021, Sochi, Norris and Hamilton, that kind of battle where they're just going at it corner for corner because it's raining and they're on the wrong tires. But Hamilton and Norris never that. really went wheel to wheel, though, did they? It they was just, just Hamilton closing in on every him. corner. Yeah, this one was a proper battle, oh, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah insanely good um but it came down to it going into the bus stop chicane uh you had raikkonen leading the race hamilton goes for it on the outside of the bus stop uh and gets run out of road because he's he probably by today's standards is fully alongside enough to deserve some space but back in those days i didn't really care so raikkonen kind of forces him off uh hamilton has to skip the chicane uh lets raikkonen back through on the straight down towards la source turn one and because he's closer having jumped the chicane he then just sends it down the inside of turn one gets a slow down it's a pretty good move and takes the lead of the race um and there's nothing thought of it they keep on battling eventually Raikkonen completely crashes out of the race i think on the end of the same lap maybe one lap later um and then hamilton's just going to cruise to the win because it's uh massa was in second and then it's kind of just all hell breaking looks behind really i think you had both toro rossos you had alonso heidfeld and uh one of the red bulls i think mark Webber, maybe uh were all just the rest of the points and they were all on top of each other on the wrong tires and then you had alonso and heidfeld pit for wets with one lap to go and make up 25 seconds on everyone <laughs> which was insanely good but turns out ferrari appealed why wouldn't they uh to the fia and hamilton got the smallest penalty you could get at the time, which is where the crucial details lie, um, which was a drive-through penalty for leaving the track and gaining advantage, which I think he did do, because in a normal situation, you're never close enough to go for a move into La Source. And I'm going to stop you there for one second. <laughs> because, Jamie, you just said the crucial information. I completely agree, of course. That was the smallest penalty you can give. What you forgot to mention there, though, was how much faster the McLaren car was that year on a dampening track. Because, of course, this was the last year with groove tyres in Formula. It was a bizarre Mm -hmm. year. Groove tyres, but no traction control still. So dry tyres actually stood a bit of a chance as tracks got damp. The McLaren car was so much better than the Ferrari car in those situations. As you saw going into the bus stop, the fact Hamilton was able to break so much later and get around the outside in the first place. I still think, and had he not... Like, he was only close enough to send it based on the fact he would just let him back through. So I think he did gain an advantage, but we're not going to agree. And I don't think if we had 20 hours podcast, we still wouldn't agree. <laughs> I don't think we would. But this is the other thing I found quite interesting then that you mentioned, of course, with Raikkonen and barging him off the road. I think what the big surprise was then was the fact that that wasn't generally the way... I mean, if you exclude Kubica versus Massa at the Japanese oh, yeah. Grand Prix the year later. prior. Um, <laughs> it was the year prior, yeah. Um, 
That generally wasn't the thing drivers did, though, was it? Barge each other off the road. Now, of yeah. course, the context around this, Kimi needed that win, didn't he? For any oh, yeah. slim hopes of the championship. We actually spoke about this just before we did the podcast today. Kimi won two of the first four races that year and hadn't won again up to the Belgian Grand Prix at like round 13 of the year. He needed that win to, to stay any chance at the championship. Of course, he was also known as you know, the master of Belgium as well at that point. So that was under pressure as well. Obviously, because you had Hamilton coming in in these tricky conditions and absolutely giving him a run for his money. But, I mean, those last few laps, still, I'd argue to this day, uh, some of the most ridiculous Formula 1 laps of all time. Is it? I mean, it's just quintessential late 2000s Formula 1. Oh, yeah. It's iconic. Just the fact that Bourdais and Vettel were running third and fourth with a lap Bourdais to go. should have got a podium. And well, then... Bourdais was on the podium with like three corners to go, wasn't he, still? Yeah. And came yeah. on fifth. And then high... No, he came on seventh. It was seventh, wasn't it? No, yeah. It was seventh, yeah. 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 Because uh, uh, Heidfeld and Alonso both had full wets on and were literally gaining five seconds per corner on everyone. <laughs> uh, but Hamilton did win by 15 seconds, but then his drive through penalty. When it wasn't served, they turned it into 25 seconds, which seems ridiculous for Belgium since it's a very short pit lane. But there we go. That's the FAA for you. Um, so it ended up with Massa winning the race from Heidfeld with Hamilton in P3, which didn't end up affecting the championship, but very easily could have done because that was 2008. So yes. he, he lost it. He won it by a point. Yes. And I mean, this was I mean, this came back up recently, didn't it? Of course, when Massa was talking about whether he could get Singapore either overruled or removed from that oh, championship. Yeah. And obviously Voided. a lot of people were going, you know, you lost a few points there, but Lewis absolutely did here as well, wasn't it? Well, um, and Silverstone, Massa just spun 16 times. Exactly. That, that weekend was really the weekend where Massa... Well, I mean, this was the thing again they with were both 2008, really bad. wasn't it? It was probably the worst championship fight in terms of quality of drivers. They both made so many mistakes. At least, well, I, don't, I think the worst of all time is probably a bit unfair. Remember Schumacher yeah, Viola 97. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> but still, absolutely wild, wild year of Formula One. But of course, you know, you also had Hungary, for example, for Massa, easy win up until two laps to oh, go. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, Hamilton, of course, as we know, won that World Championship. Is that Glock? We all will know that story. But Jamie, we were so spoiled when we were kids, weren't we? <laughs> like you can see why we became fans. <laughs> you know, Formula One back then was absolutely wild. Absolutely, yeah, it was wild. a lot of fun. Uh, this one, though, dates back before us, though. The 1998 British Grand Prix Crashgate thing. Mm. No, not Talk Crashgate. Talk me through this one. That's a, that's a separate Oh, Crashgate's thing. a separate one, sorry. Yeah, Silverstone 98 uh, is the famous Schumacher serving his penalty in the pit lane after crossing the line to win the race. So he basically won the race through the pit lane. <laughs> Because um, they gave him a penalty for overtaking Alex Verts, uh, which is a blast from the past, under safety car conditions or under yellow flag conditions. Um, and they, the FIA issued him with a 10-second penalty with two laps to go in the race <laughs> without telling them, because there were two different things at the time, without telling them whether it was a stop-go or just a time penalty. Uh, so yeah, the rules in the 90s were very strange and convoluted. But basically, you couldn't you could only give straight up time penalties if the incident happened in the, in the last uh, 35 minutes of the race. And this, this is such a happened, dumb rule. Which is really dumb. How it's do so you know stupid. if there's 35 minutes left of a race is my problem with yeah. that? Yeah. 
And then turns out this incident was about 41 minutes before the end of the race. So the team really didn't know. They were left in the dark by the FIA. So they just played it safe and brought him into the pits to serve a 10-second stop-go if it was that penalty. Uh, turns out the Ferrari pit box was after the finish line, so he didn't serve the 10 seconds in the race, but still lost a bit of time uh, like through the pit lane entry, obviously. Um, turns out, yeah, it was all an absolute mess. The FAA did not know what they were doing. Um, and they eventually said it was meant to be a 10-second time penalty, which Ferrari then appealed because it was not within the last 35 minutes of the race. Uh, the FIA were like, oh, yeah, it wasn't. Whoops. Uh, then they took it back, and then they just rescinded the penalty altogether. <laughs> Utterly so bizarre. It so was, it was a steward's masterclass, and actually all of the steward panel resigned after that race, <laughs> which is uh, a bit wild, really. I mean, it's still nuts. I know we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, the fact that we haven't got dedicated stewards oh, yeah. for Formula 1, even now. And I mean, it's things like that, isn't it? That This was back when Formula 1 came up with rules that you're like, there's clearly a loophole here somewhere. And it's just a matter of time, when rather than if, yeah. this gets exploited. And of course, Ferrari, as you said there, kind of had to in the end. Um, but yeah, just an utterly... I mean, obviously, we've all seen the footage, I'm sure, of Schumacher, you yeah. know, Murray Walker commentating him as he and comes he down the pit lane. flag on the wrong side of the pit lane. <laughs> yeah, it's just so weird. Formula One, again, just such a bizarre sport. Such a bizarre sport. But that's why icebergs for Formula One work so oh, well, yeah. isn't it? There were nine finishes that race, by the way. Nine finishes. That was pretty good for the yeah. late 90s. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. Well, Jamie, I, I hadn't actually spotted this one on the list, but I suppose we could have probably gone into this a minute ago then, isn't it? And that, of course, is Crashgate. Yeah, which is also one of the biggest controversies, which both, which happened about three weeks after the last... No, a year and three weeks after the last one, didn't it? Of Spygate. Um, well, a year and three weeks after Spygate. Three weeks yeah. after uh, after Belgium. Belgium, <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty sure Crashgate is well documented. But we spoke about this in the first... I suppose, didn't we, with the Renault brake bias thing. Renault just, every so often, they do their best to try and get banned from the sport. Yeah. <laughs> and this was their attempt this time around, was, yeah, to uh, Singapore Grand Prix. They know their car is quick because it's said so in practice. It's the first ever night race in F1, which is quite cool. And, uh, yeah, they've got, uh, they got screwed over by a yellow flag in qualifying. So you had both of them out in Q1. Uh no, Alonso, Alonso had an issue, mechanical issue. Oh, was it an issue? In Q2, um, he was fast he qualified, in practice. He qualified 15th, 16th. No, 16th on the grid, wasn't it? Because that's the the lowest anyone on the current grid has won 15th. from, which is quite funny. <laughs> he qualified 15th. Oh, 15th. Because okay. he was bottom um, of Q2. Yeah. And then you had uh, Nelson Piquet, who was very unpopular anyway. Although... He had taken the team's first podium of the year in incredibly lucky circumstances in Hockenheim. Well, it was weird, wasn't it, Hockenheim? Because it was they got a really well-timed safety car yeah. for him, uh, and that basically then could, inspired them. <laughs> he, then he could get a podium, and yeah, like you said, Renault saw that and went, "Well, why don't we just make a safety car?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. It's it's just the French. I mean, it's Flavio like... Briatore. That's what it is, isn't yeah. it? Like, yeah. have you ever? There's someone in a fantastic documentary. He was basically in the mafia. <laughs> like, how oh, on yeah. earth he was allowed control of a Formula One team is bizarre. Utterly bizarre. Carry on, yeah, sorry. Completely. So, you had this 
sort of prelude to it in Hockenheim where, yeah, PK qualified really low down. They put heavy fuel in the car because they had nothing to lose. A really well-timed safety car and the safety car rules were dumb that year. They were just stupid, which meant you couldn't pit uh, as soon as the safety car came out. You had to wait for everyone to train up into the, into the snake and then you could pit. So if you were going to run out of fuel in that lap it took to, because refueling was a thing back at this point, if you were going to run out of fuel in the time back then, you just had to pit and take a drive-through penalty with it. Um, which, interestingly, is what Nico Rosberg and Robert Kubica did this. I knew you were about in, to mention Rosberg because he could have probably won yeah, this race. He should have won that race. <laughs> um, but yeah, they saw in Hockenheim, PK vaulted from yeah bottom five up into could have won the race if Hamilton had slightly worse pace on a two-stop. Um, and then, yeah, they saw, oh, that works. Let's just do it ourselves. And then that's what, exactly what they did. So they pit Alonso uh a lap 12 before yeah lap 12 yeah. before the safety car came out uh and then they told nelson pk to crash <laughs> it just sounds ridiculous doesn't it? So uh, dumb. they told they told pk to crash in a way that would definitely cause a safety car which he did very well in a very safe way uh and then yeah call the safety car everyone snakes up behind the safety car uh they all come into the pits at the same time to refuel apart from fernando alonso who has played uh, played it like a, a blinder? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's now leading. Uh, he's second place in the race behind Rosberg, uh, who pit initially when a safety car came out and took the drive-through penalty. But because he was leading, he was trying to gap everyone uh, before taking the penalty. So he did gap everyone apart from Alonso. Came out in second place after the drive-through, which left Alonso just to lead home the race win. Uh, meanwhile, in that calamity you've got massa just leaving his box with a fuel attached fuel pipe attached which was very dangerous uh and arguably cost him the world championship but yeah it was a crazy crazy race uh and it only came out a year later and it's so funny watching back um what's his name james something the commentator james allison uh, james allison is like uh it's like ironic that Alonso only won because of his teammates crash it's like oh yeah it's very ironic isn't it yeah. mad wasn't it <laughs> the yeah. odds of that happening yeah and then a, a year later literally Singapore the following season 2009 uh they'd sacked PK for Romain Grosjean a bit before that um and PK basically went to the FIA and blew the whistle and brought down everything Renault for a bit <laughs> well basically uh, for about another half a decade wasn't it yeah for Renault yeah so Flappy Briatore was banned uh, Pat Simmons was also banned and Nelson Piquet received immunity in exchange for giving evidence which always so... makes me chuckle for Nelson Piquet because he was that bad he wasn't going to get back in anyway Yeah, he, <laughs> like, he made no difference <laughs> I, I, would, but... I would put money on Flavio Briatore and Pat Simmons would have been back to more Formula 1 Grand Prix than Nelson Piquet Jr. ever did probably Flavio's around a bit now, especially like Italy and Monaco, isn't he? Yeah, Pat Simmons as well shows up yeah. from time to time. I mean, yeah. utterly, utterly bizarre, wasn't it? Like, yeah. we still don't know to this day, do we, whose idea it actually was. You know, whether it was PK's... Alonso maintains P- he had nothing to do with it. Alonso maintains he had nothing to do with it, and whenever he's been asked about it, that Chikigurin tells you a very different yeah. story. I mean, how did Alonso, every single controversy... Back in the late 2000s, he was him, pretty he? much in the centre of, apart from Belgium. Yeah. So bizarre. So bizarre, wasn't it? Of course, yeah, like we said, you know, that Renault were 
pretty much gone immediately. Uh, I think they were likely they going anyway. No, they, they, stick to, they stuck around for a few more years. Well, they were Lotus. No, but... they were only Lotus in 2012. They were Renault up until then. I thought they would still add Lotus. I thought they were no. basically Lotus by 2010 anyway, weren't they? Kubica and Petrov completely drove a Renault in 2010. Oh, they yeah, they Lotus did, didn't Renault. they? Yeah, Lotus in 2011, wasn't it? Yeah. Lotus Renault. Yeah, I suppose yeah. I was wrong there then. Um... But yeah, it was a, a mad time. And Renault, they actually won. Like The funny thing was, they hadn't yes. won in 18 months. Yeah. And then they completely scripted one race to win. And then two weeks later, they win again in, in uh, Fiji without cheating. So <laughs> they could have just waited and they won anyway. Sorry, did you say Fiji or Fuji? Sorry, Fuji, Fiji is its own <laughs> the country. All, isn't the all-new Fiji Grand Prix. It's jet lag, allow it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, like you said, the often forgotten bit about that was, yeah, the fact they did all that and then won a race too. Like, you must think there was someone there going, cock and balls. <laughs> like, how have yeah. we done this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they really, they were not going to win the championship of the year. Although Alonso did score the most points in the last six races. Partly down to Singapore, arguably. It, it uh, completely down to Singapore, arguably. Because <laughs> he screwed most of the big scorers. Yeah. Um, but they they hadn't won in ages. They, their main motivation for this was just to win a race. And then they, they, well, they, they won the next on race. Board, wasn't it? Yeah, and they won the next race anyway. So yeah, very funny. Yeah, back-to-back race victories in 2008 for them. Which, again... Didn't actually happen that much that season. Uh, Felipe no. Massa won back-to-back races and once. Hamilton won back-to-back races once, and then you look all the way down to Fernando Alonso, who won back-to-back <laughs> races once as well. Um, but it did help him beat Nick Heifeld in the championship. Yeah. So every little helps and all that. <laughs> anyway, on to Eugene Day. You can talk about this one. I know nothing about the. 90s. You know nothing about Eugene Day, do you? So Jamie. Cash your eyes back. 2006. Midland. A new Formula 1 team. Of course, out of the ashes that were Jordan the year prior. They have got, I think it was Asia Tech Engines, I want to say this year. Or they were sponsored by Asia Tech. And as we saw so often in the 80s and 90s, when Japanese manufacturers come into Formula 1 or Japanese suppliers, they want to get one of their own into the car. Well, we still see it now, arguably. It still happens now a little bit, I suppose. But Yuki Tsunoda's doing all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they wanted one of their own. And they pick up Yuji Ide, who'd been doing okay in Japanese junior formula. The problem was he just had a lot of money. Um, but he, I think, remains still to this day, if I'm not mistaken, as the last Formula 1 driver to get their license, their super license revoked. Because at the 2006 Imola Grand Prix, he famously flipped over another driver. I can't remember exactly who it was off the top of my head, to be honest. Um, But he locked up going down in towards turn two uh, and flipped. So actually, sorry, no, it wasn't uh, Midland. It was Super Aguri. It was Super Aguri. It was Super. Sorry, I got me teams muddled up because I always forget Super Aguri existed as well in that weird period. But yeah, um, yeah, he managed to flip. One of the other back market cars. I think he flipped the Midland, wasn't it? Sorry, um, of uh, Christian Albers. I want to say Frank. Well, no, that's who replaced him. Yes, it was Albers. Yeah, he flipped Christian Albers at the start of the race. So had his super license revoked. He was woefully underprepared. He was woefully slow. Apparently, um, there were reports that he could barely communicate with yeah. some of the engineers because again, this was a weird time where Super Aguri were like a half hybrid. Japanese, Japanese and European English. BAR team 
but he was just an absolute mess. And yeah, he, so all... he said to the FIA, I'm sorry, I just read a quote. He didn't have enough testing because he doesn't understand how to use the car, uh, which is why the stewards strongly recommended to Supergurry that they should re- remove him from the seat. Yeah. And Frank Montagne came in. Yeah. Who, what, he was equally as un- unexperienced, wasn't he? Pretty much. So, yeah, seven entries all time. That was his, that was his debut when they replaced UG Day. But I guess he would have tested the car a lot more. So, yeah, very very weird time. Super Geary are another one of those teams that are just like <laughs> they're so strange. But so bizarre. Takuma Sato did bits for them, and Anthony Davidson well, should have finished fourth in Canada one year. But what I love still about Super Geary is it was basically just Japanese propaganda for Takuma Sato. Yeah. Honda went, we're not hiring him anymore. And they were like, right, we're going to build our own team <laughs> alongside him because we want him racing still. Well, they already had Toyota anyway. So they were basically a mini Toyota because they took a lot of listed parts. It was Honda, though, that were doing it. Oh, yeah, it was Honda, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was Honda yeah. that were doing it. It yeah. was just, this was like, I mean, again, before the financial crash that completely crippled Japan, even to this day, really. There was still mm. money flowing over there, but. Yeah, just they wanted apparently as many Formula One teams as they could get their hands on, so built one yeah. and let their junior driver flip other cars around for a laugh. Um, blown diffuser, then Jamie. This one's a bit more recent, isn't it? This one's not that. I mean, it's not that spicy. It's just like a, a technical innovation. Uh, Twenty eleven, you had Red Bull, Adrian Newey, uh, giving Sebastian Vettel his second world championship for the Red Bull RB seven, I believe yeah. uh, it was that year. Um, and most of that was down to the blown diffuser, which was basically blowing your exhaust gases in a clever way over the diffuser, which uh, gave it an awful lot of downforce. And Red Bull weren't the only ones to do it. Renault also had, or Lotus Renault, I guess, at the start of the year, had their own blown diffuser. Well, they had the um, side exhaust, didn't they? Rather than yeah, the blown diffuser, yeah. which was but equally it, as innovative. It was, it was very, very innovative. Uh, they actually kind of undenied about banning it midway through the season uh you may remember silverstone where they oh it's such a temporary classic fia well they banned it different levels throughout the weekend obviously different teams had different cars going into the weekend they said that uh you can't blow your gases anymore you can't do exhaust gas blowing at all um and then renault who powered red bull at the time appealed to the FIA saying for safety reasons we need to blow our exhaust gases by I can't imagine 20% I think and the FIA were like okay sure obviously this made everyone really annoyed because it's Red Bull getting an advantage over everyone else Martin Whitmarsh and McLaren then went to the FIA and said oh we need to blow our engine by 50% for safety reasons and they were like okay sure I don't know why but um, that meant that temporarily McLaren seemed to have the big advantage Mid- this is midway through the weekend. This, I think it's on Thursday or Friday at Silverstone, uh, which I was actually at as a kid in qualifying, which is fun. You were, um, yeah. And then the the FIA clamped down Friday evening and were like, okay, we realise we're idiots. We're going to go back to what we said. So Renault can have the advantage and Mercedes engines can't. Uh, which, uh, no, I'm wrong. They said Renault can't have the, the allowance, but everyone else can, which was stupid and allowed... Ferrari to win their only race of the season with Fernando Alonso. Um, so it was the one time that Red Bull weren't just all conquering, really. I think Weber got pole. Um, but the race pace, Hamilton and Alonso were both right there with the Red Bulls, which didn't really happen that much throughout the season. Um, 
Vettel still finished second, and I think Weber was third. Yes, he was because it was the team orders, wasn't it? At the end. Yes. Um, and yeah, after this race, they basically reverted back to Valencia, which was the race before. They were like, "We've made a mess of exhaust gases. You can just do what you want for the rest of the season." And then they outlawed them in 2012. So yeah, yeah. it kind of all blew up in Silverstone. It was a mess, but it's it- what the FIA are good at. It was what what was always still to me bizarre about that. Still, was the fact that Ferrari, it kind of felt like once they proved that they had the fastest, they'd actually develop the fastest car when you remove the exhaust gas mm. whole thing. Once, obviously, once they took that win that weekend, they were like, "Well, clearly now we've got the fastest car. Like we've proven that we're not going to win the <laughs> world championship this year. You may as well let them use it again." Yes, yeah. bizarre because they probably could have won loads of races in the second half yeah, of the year. Probably. Had they gone, oh, I guess, we want to keep this rule now. I guess the closest challenger to Vettel at the time would have been Hamilton or Button, I believe. Button that year, but not at that point because he had back-to-back DNFs in Silverstone and Hockenheim, didn't he? Or uh, but he's still broken. Because uh, remember, this was Hamilton's zombie year. I don't think it was Hamilton. I'm gonna check. British I think, GP yeah, I, I'm pretty yeah. certain it was Button and obviously Mark Webber. Uh, and Alonso uh, might have been there or thereabouts. After the race, yeah, Webber was second. Yep. Alonso third. Hamilton Button tied in fourth, yeah. Oh, right. So, uh, yeah, I guess my, my intuition would tell me Alonso was like, I'd rather Vettel win the championship than open the door for a McLaren driver. It's probably um, also true. So it was like, ah, we'll just bid it off and focus on next year, which he almost worked. So fair play. well, not by the car particularly. If I'm not reliable, <laughs> um, but again, another another wild, wild time in the world of Formula One, and that brings us on then, Jamie, to our last technical innovation uh, and our last topic of Tier Two of the F1 iceberg. That is the F duct. Hmm. Do you know about the F duct? I can talk about it if you want. You can talk me through the F duct. I'll treat you. Okay. Okay. So this is back in 2010, the dawn of a new era in Formula One. You've got McLaren, you've got Ferrari, you've got Red Bull, Mercedes, and Mercedes, are, back. Mercedes are back. So there's going to be a big teams. talk of of eight way championship fight with Michael Schumacher winning his eighth. As, yeah, winning his eighth. That was going to happen, wasn't it? Um, but then McLaren at the start of the season, especially on tracks with a lot of straight lines, uh, are doing really well, and they're they're a bit confused as to why. But then footage starts emerging. I think it was Hamilton initially driving along with one hand on the steering wheel and one hand like pressed against the inner part of its cockpit um and they the fa are like what's this about why is he driving with one hand uh it turns out they've got a thing called an f duct which uh, kind of is like pre-drs in a way because it basically no there was no mechanical movement of the car but it, it re-flowed the air to make it go over the rear wing in a different way so instead of making it go through the inside of the car as an S shape, it made it go through as an F shape, basically, which made it stall the rear wing. It made it have less drag on a straight and you could take your hand off the F duct and it would go back to being as grippy on the corners. So it's really, really clever technical innovation. Um and McLaren really reaped the benefits of it. I think Hamilton won in Canada and in Turkey. Button had won in uh two wet races at the start of the year as well. So yeah, it was really good stuff for McLaren. They were leading the championship, both championships after after Canada, I think, with the one two there. Um, but sadly for them, it got they allowed it for the rest of the year, but it got outlawed in twenty eleven. Um, but as the season went on, more and more teams got their own F duct. I think Renault were the first to get their version. Um, 
which is kind of why they banned it because Robert Kubica had drove up Eau Rouge one-handed. Um, so it was quite crazy, but uh, eventually Red Bull got the F duct, and that kind of put the nail in the coffin of them having the dominant car that year. Um, and eventually, yeah, Vettel won the championship on the final race in Abu Dhabi when Alonso and Weber threw it away. So, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, I mean, it was... Because uh, if I remember correctly, though, I think McLaren's wasn't actually hand-operated. I don't think... It, yeah, maybe it was a I button on the wheel. I think it was only when... I think it was the footage, wasn't it, of Fernando Alonso going down the main straight at Barcelona. Yeah. Where, of course, yeah, he's yeah. got one hand on the wheel. And I think, I think it was Ted Kravitz, wasn't it, that asked him afterwards. He was like, so if you've got one hand over that, and one hand changed in brake bias on your steering wheel. What hand is controlling where the <laughs> car's going? And they were kind of there, like. Shouldn't None? have asked that. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, was kind of the dabbing indictment, wasn't it, for the F duct? And of course, as you said, the the introduction, the kind of the inspiration for the introduction of DRS in 2011 as well. But yeah, again, another a weird time, wasn't it, of course? Because we went through the late 2000s where Formula 1 cars had all this stuff stuck to them. Obviously, in 2009, where everything was really simple with the exception of the double diffuser, and obviously 2010 again, as you said, um, everything started getting a little bit crazy again with all these innovations once more because Ferrari and McLaren uh, were actually fighting at the front again. And obviously... <laughs> without without nearly... cheating. Yeah, exactly, without cheating. Um, but again, I mean, most of this episode, hasn't it, has been, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s, and what a lot of stories. There was so much going on. So much going on around this time, wasn't there? It was nuts. Oh, yeah, completely. And it's probably, like, it's, it's the era we grew up on, so I guess we look back on it fondly. But, yeah, it's it's a great time. To, so uh, much controversy. If you haven't watched the season reviews, I'm not sure if they're still on YouTube, but they were at one point if not F1 TV, and then just yes. watch the races. <laughs> There's, yeah. I mean, the races themselves were not all that, really, because... No, it was no a weird VRS, time, wasn't it? No a cares. lot of the races weren't that great, but everything that was going on in the bigger picture was mental yeah, back then. Yeah, a lot of fun. But is that going to wrap us up then, Jamie, for today's episode? I believe it is. Thank you there all so much for watching, as always. Uh, like we said, we'll probably be back... Uh, maybe in the break week before Austria, if I'm not, or after Silverstone even, or after Austria. I can't quite remember how the calendar works. It must be after Silverstone, isn't it? We've got break week before the Hungaro ring. Uh, we'll we'll aim to try and return then with part three of our F1 iceberg. Knowing our luck by then, something massive will happen and someone will announce their retirement uh, from Formula One as well. Uh, Max Verstappen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you all so much as always for listening. If you have enjoyed, please do make sure you leave a like, get yourself subscribed, follow us on all our various social media bits as well. And yeah, we will return next week then with a preview for the Austrian Grand Prix. Another sprint weekend, Jamie. 